Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We are back into our Summer Salvation Series. Could not be any happier. Dr. Peter Kapsner, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here again, Bill. This has been quite a series. It's been a journey. I don't think we tried to map out all together from the beginning. We had a decent idea of maybe of where we're going to head. But, that would have been helpful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but certainly some things have emerged. I mean, listeners have really been active and writing in sort of their thoughts and questions and some great guests in this whole series, too. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And I'm going to ask Lee some of the questions that have come in from guests today. I think be great. They're, they're very powerful and he's going to have the answers. But uh, our guest uh, for today is Lee Strobel, and I don't need much more introduction other than that. He's uh, written many books. His most recent is The Case for Miracles, um, which is a, I've had a chance to talk to him about that. Uh, the book that m- probably most people are familiar with is The Case for, the Case for Christ. Yeah, you said five million copies sold, and, and however long it's been in circulation. We'll ask him how many, but uh, he's our guest for the hour. Lee, welcome. Well, thanks so much. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, when did you write The Case for Christ? It actually came out in 1998. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, it's had such an impact. I don't know many evangelical believers, uh, Lee, that haven't at least seen or heard of the material. Well, it's been uh, really an adventure. No way could I have anticipated the impact it's had around the world. uh, But God's used it beyond what we could have uh, thought or dreamed of, and it's thrilling. I get get emails or texts or letters uh, virtually every day from people who say that God used it to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and uh, came into the family. So it's been, that's, it's a thrill. Yeah. Lee, the whole purpose of this series was when we talk about salvation, we might do it for 10 or 15 minutes during the context of one show. And I always think that we're, we're leaving a lot on the table and we're not going in deep enough. And I said to Peter, um, uh, let's do like six, seven, eight weeks, just an hour a week, talk about salvation. And then I got my, uh, my wish list, my dream list of guests and so here we are with you, which makes me very happy. Um, but maybe uh, you come from being an atheist, so you've got an amazing perspective on salvation. But more importantly, I'd like to just ask you about how you think evangelism has evolved over the last 25 or 30 years. Well, quite a bit, I think. Um, you know, I think back in the 1950s, uh, evangelism kind of involved reminding people what they already knew to be true because they learned it in Sunday school class. And uh, they go, oh, yeah, you're right, I really need to to follow Jesus, and uh, they did. But uh, obviously things change subsequently to that, uh, and uh, nowadays, especially with so much um, uh, hostility even toward the faith and, and, and a lot of critiques of the faith that you see online and so forth, a lot of the growth of atheist organizations, uh, you know, the Secular Student Alliance, which is an umbrella organization for atheists, is on 400 uh, college and high school campuses uh, proclaiming the atheistic worldview. And um, so because of that, I think the growth and need for apologetics, which is give reasons for the hope that we have, uh, is increasingly important. A, a friend of mine, J. Warner Wallace, who was a cold case homicide investigator and atheist who came to faith through an investigation of the evidence for uh, the truth of the Gospels, uh, said that um, uh, evangelism in the 21st century is spelled apologetics. 
And uh, he was being hyperbolic there. But still, nevertheless, I think he makes a valid point, which is that in this day of increased skepticism, um, it's often true that we, we don't just need to tell people what we believe, but also why we believe it. And to give, as First Peter 3.15 says, um, reasons for the hope that we have. And to do it as First uh, Peter 3.15 says, with gentleness and respect, uh, where we do more listening than talking, uh, when we ask more questions and make statements, uh, where we're empathetic and we value people as being made in the image of God who matter to him, um, and that they're on a journey and that it's okay, that we can help them along the way. So I think that uh, apologetics goes hand in glove with evangelism uh, in the 21st century. Lee, can you speak a bit, too, just about the importance of that with young people today? Because you referenced just how many new and different kinds of voices have emerged over these last 10 years or so. And and at least the young people I teach, they're exposed to so many different voices. And so how do you sort of cut through the noise or rise above the noise of all of this information that they're constantly getting so that they can get exposed to these very good reasons for our faith? Well, I think it really does um, emphasize the need for the Church um, broadly and for us as individual Christians to be on the lookout for opportunities to engage with people uh, and to, um, to really listen to the questions that are um, um, kind of sticking points in their spiritual journey and gently help them find resolution to those issues. Um, I, I think that oftentimes uh, people we meet have an objection or two uh, that, that's holding them up, and um, often it's not the first thing they say to us. Um, often the first question that people will ask is this a trial balloon to see how are you going to respond if I ask you a, a question about the faith? Are you angry? Are you going to yell at me? Are you going to demean me? And when they see that uh, you're honest and sincere and going to seriously take their uh, comments and, and help them uh, find some resolution, then they're more willing to bring up the questions that are probably at the real heart of why or why they're not uh, following Christ. Uh, so, uh, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. Lots of times when I get into a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, I'll ask them the question, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer, what would you ask? And uh, 80% of the time, uh, roughly, uh, it's some permutation of the pain and suffering issue. Why would a loving God allow pain and suffering? And so they'd ask me that, and I'd give them a five-point sermon on why God allows pain and suffering. <laughs> but I don't, I don't do that anymore. Uh, now I ask a follow-up question. And the, if somebody says, well, I want to know why a loving God would allow pain and suffering. But then I ask a follow-up. I say, well, wait a minute. Um, among all the potential questions in the universe, why would you ask God that question? Now we get to the heart of things. Then they'll say, well, because uh, my wife's been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I want to know where God is in the midst of that. Or we lost a child in childbirth five years ago, and I want to know where was God in the midst of that. Um, or I lost my job because of the COVID crisis, and where's God in the midst of that? Now we're dealing with the real emotional issues that are driving things. And by getting to that root of their issue, then we can reach out to them, and maybe they don't need a five-point sermon. Maybe they don't need a 300-page book on why God allows pain and suffering. Maybe they need you to put your arm around their shoulder and be Jesus to them and to care for them and empathize with them and love them and pray for them. Um, and, and often I find that's what uh, is more winning to people. So I think apologetics goes beyond just giving raw data and historical facts. 
I, I think it involves loving people and caring for people and doing that on whether it's an intellectual level or on a personal and emotional level. So it, it sounds like there's a, at least a need of relationship in this. It's not just the the raw, uh, as you said, the raw facts or the raw data that's going to persuade people. But I think I sometimes feel some pressure that if I'm in relationship with a non-believer, I sort of have to you know see them converted in the first 15 minutes that I know yeah. them. But but it sounds like to to walk alongside of people and to get into the depth and the grime of their life is a, is a really helpful part of this process. Yeah, you know, for me, it took two years, uh, a year and nine months precisely, for me uh, to really investigate the evidence, get the answers to the questions that were hanging me up, until I um, <clears throat> kind of had the way clear for me to come to faith. And so I, I, I understand the fact that it often takes time. Uh, it often takes a period for a person to really uh, consider and weigh the costs of, of uh, discipleship and so forth. So... Uh, often, uh, you know, I, I think of a, uh, a guy not far from me, a Jewish gentleman who was retired, and um, uh, he was a lawyer for the oil industry. I live down in Houston, and uh, also an engineer. And um, he was, as I say, retired. He was house was damaged during Harvey, Hurricane Harvey. Um, some people from local church came to help him. Uh, that opened him up to going to that church, and I happened to be speaking. And um, uh, I met him and said, why don't we go out and, and, and talk? And we ended up having uh, lunch subsequent to that. And uh, he asked a million questions, and we spent all afternoon talking. And so it was a process. And it took quite a, a number of months before he, was, he came to faith. And sure enough, right before uh, Christmas, uh, he was baptized as a new believer. So, you know, it, it, it's a journey, and, and, and that's okay. I, I think we have to let people know it is okay. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather have someone make a thoughtful, well-considered uh, decision than uh, an emotional response to something that doesn't really reflect the uh, intent of their heart. I like that. That's an amazing uh, story, Lee. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, I've got a, a, a question that came in from a listener that was so, it's so interesting and thoughtful. As we think about the holiness of God and the wrath of God, all right, if we try to take those two things and hold those in, in our head, and it's important why we so desperately need a Savior that, that only God the Father could provide, and that the parish side of John 3.16, if we ignore God, so I wondered if you wouldn't talk a little bit about the holiness and the wrath of God. Well, you know, I, I think in this day, um, too often, we have a sentimental view of God. Yeah. Um, God is love. And, oh, God is love, uh, golly, then he can certainly, he'll never judge me. Uh, you know, he can never hold people accountable for their sin. He's love. And that's true, God is love. But we have to look at the various aspects of how that plays out. And what we see is, uh, you know, God is also holy. He's also just. Uh, he's also fair. You know, the Bible says, will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Um, and so we have to look at the, the, the fuller picture of who God is and get away from the sentimental view of love being only a sappy um, um, universal acceptance of some other person and their behavior. Um, so when we look at the, uh, you know, who God is, we, we have to consider his, his holiness, his wrath, his, um, um, his justice and so forth. Um, so that we get a proper view of where we stand with him, uh, how our sin offends him, 
how our sin develops a, a chasm, a distance, a separation between us and him, because he's perfect, he's pure, he's holy, we're not, and, uh, and how only the cross of Christ can bridge that chasm, uh, and through his grace, uh, how we can come to faith in him. And Lee, with sin not being a popular subject at all, it seems like these days among people, I, I read something this last week where an author was saying that uh, that God's wrath is a settled disposition against sin, but he also has a settled disposition that is for the sinner. Uh, is that a fair yeah. distinction, or is that just too simplistic? I think that's I, I think that's an interesting uh, uh, way to put it. Um, you know, the fact that God is holy, the fact that he's just, the fact that he will judge us um, is not uh, contrary to the fact that he's loving. And uh, how does God work that out? How do you possibly work that out? It's like the old illustration. I use this all the time. I think it's a wonderful illustration of the uh, judge who is um, an, an honest and a righteous judge and brought before him one day is his daughter who's been caught red-handed uh, shoplifting. And uh, so the judge listens to the evidence, and sure enough, she's guilty as charged. The, he knows the penalty is a year in prison, and she doesn't have, or a $10,000 fine, and she doesn't have the money, so he knows he's going to be separated from his loving daughter for a year. Uh, what does he do? He can't lie and pretend that she's innocent because he's holy, he's righteous, he's he's just. It would be a lie. He has to be honest, and he has to find her guilty. And so what does he do? He finds her guilty. That's all he can do because he is holy and righteous and just. So he declares her guilty, but then he takes off his robe. He, he comes in front of the bench. He opens his checkbook, and he writes a checkbook to cover the fine. And then he holds out that check to her and says, because I love you, I want to pay the penalty that you deserve uh, for, for what you've done. Now, she has a choice. She can re- accept that or she can reject that. Uh, John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And so she gratefully accepts this payment on her behalf and uh, it is set free. And I think it's a great illustration in the sense that, uh, you know, uh, God must find us guilty. Otherwise, he's lying. Um, I'm a sinner. I've sinned every day of my life. And and for God to ignore that and wink at it and pretend like everything's fine, that, that's just a lie. And God can't lie. And so he has to find me guilty. And yet, Philippians 2, we have uh, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, uh, take off the perks of heaven and, and come into our world and uh, 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 voluntarily pay the penalty that we deserve for the sins that we've committed. And he offers this gift of grace, this gift of forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. And we, are the, we have the choice to accept it or not. But uh, I think that's a, a good illustration of how this love of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God interact with each mm-hmm. other. Lee, let me take a little break. Lee Strobel is our guest. We're in our Salvation Summer Series. We'll be back in 90 seconds. salvation. <laughs> and our guest is Lee Strobel, a best-selling author, and also uh, you can go learn more about the Lee Strobel Center uh, for um, 
Christian uh, for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. There we go. That's the name. So I, I, I didn't mess around, Peter. No, I, you did I, not. You, no. you, you found this website, and it is a mouthful to say, but it's a pretty exciting venture, uh, Lee, it sounds like, that you've developed here. Well, we're very excited about it. It's um, People can get information at strobelcenter.com. It'll take them over to the website. And uh, what we did is we gathered about 40 uh, PhDs uh, with great credentials and teaching experience, and we've created this Center for Evangelism and what we call Applied Apologetics um, to try to uh, use online teaching and online learning uh, to uh, award uh, bachelor's degrees and master's degrees in apologetics and evangelism. And, uh, in fact, we're launching our first 30 courses uh, this week, um, courses on atheism, on Islam, on um, uh, church-based evangelism, on religious doubt, on objections to Christianity, world religions, uh, science and faith, and so forth. So we're pretty excited that... Um, uh, this is a way we can equip people to do what we said earlier, which is to be effective evangelists in the 21st century who can share the gospel, but who can also defend it as being true. And are these, uh, Lee, these courses, when you talk about 30 different courses, how long are they? Are they like three to five week sort of seminar sorts of courses that people can sign up for? Or, or what is the sort of medium that you're using here? Yeah, they're all online and they're each five weeks long. They're designed for people to take one at a time so that if you're working a full-time job, um, you can, you know, work that full-time job plus play, take one of these courses. So it's five weeks a course. You interact with the professor and with other classmates uh, through kind of a Zoom uh, platform. And, um, um, of course, you do other things. There's readings and so forth, papers and so forth. But uh, ultimately, you can get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, and then we're also going to launch certificate-level courses, which are for people that are, maybe are, already have a degree. They're not interested in another degree, but they'd like to learn. Because one of the convictions we've got, um, and this is so important, I think we're talking about salvation in the 21st century and how do we reach people with the gospel, we really believe that every church, no matter their size uh, or denomination, needs to have a uh, point leader in evangelism. Because a senior pastor can't do it all. Senior pastors have so many responsibilities uh, to uphold values of prayer and worship and discipleship and, uh, and giving and, and, and so forth, as well as evangelism. And uh, so he can emphasize evangelism for every once in a while, but it can't be a, uh, all that he, he does. And so we really want to see every church have either a, a volunteer who's trained or a part-time staff person or a full-time staff person who leads the evangelistic charge under the direction of the senior pastor. Not that they do evangelism for the church, but one of the first things they do is train the entire church on how to naturally and effectively share their faith and then um, work with the gifted evangelists in the church as well as to create events and ministries uh, to, uh, to reach out to the community. So we want to train those people through our center and uh, equip them to fulfill that role of being the evangelism point leader, either through a degree or a certificate. And Lee, you wrote an article just on this very topic called The Missing Person Your Church Desperately Needs. That's on ChristianPost.com. And I'm curious, when you talk about that person in your church, uh, I know some people might suggest that there are people who are gifted for evangelism and other people might not be gifted for evangelism. But uh, is evangelism a gifting or is it a responsibility for all believers on some level? Well, you know, that's a controversial topic. I think, um, you know, there's some who say there's a spiritual gift of evangelism. Others say, no, there's really, the Bible talks about the office of the evangelist. And um, I, I kind of go with that understanding that there's an office of the evangelist, and the role of the evangelist is to encourage
encourage and equip everyone in the church to share their faith, and here's the key, in a way that syncs up with who God made them to be. So in other words, we see at least half a dozen different styles of evangelism in the New Testament, where people reach out in a way that's consistent with who God wired them up to be. And so this removes a lot of the fear and hesitation that people have. I'll give you an example. Um, we were doing some teaching on this at a church I was part of, and this woman named uh, Julie, Julie Harney, uh, took the course, a little seminar we did, and and uh, she's a very uh, introverted person, great uh, on, on one-on-one relationships, but in any kind of group setting, she'd be very fearful. And so she never shared her faith because she thought you had to stand on a street corner with a bullhorn and or you had to be Billy Graham and give a speech and a, or a sermon. And she said, that's not for me. Well, she learned that one of the styles of evangelism is a relational style. And uh, so we taught her how she can use her relationship skills to share Jesus. And, and she just got so excited about that. Well, within the first year, Julie Harney led 14 people of faith in Christ. Uh, This is a woman who had never shared her faith before, and to this day she's leading people to faith because she is – her natural personality, she's great at building one-on-one friendships, and uh, that's how we're able to teach her to share her faith. Others have different styles. Some have an intellectual style. Um, uh, like Paul on Mars Hill, uh, you know, some people have a kind of confrontational style, more like Peter, um, some have a serving style like Dorcas or Tabitha who made clothing for the widows and in the neighborhood. Um, um, so there's different styles that people have an invitational style. Some people are really good at inviting people to places where they can hear the gospel. And so we try to say, you know, God made you a certain way. Uh, don't fight against that. Swim in the same direction. Uh, use that style. Use your personality in a way that you can reach out uniquely uh, in your own way to share Jesus with other people. And I think that's one of the things that this um, point person uh, needs to help the congregation do. You know, the, the, the Great Commission was given to all of us. Um, and so all of us are part of the church to which uh, God has given the Great Commission. We all need to be able to share our faith and um, tell the story of how God brought us to faith and explain the gospel and so forth. So um, we want to see that, but it needs leadership. Um, Mark Middleberg, my co-author, and I were um, uh, talking to a guy in Texas who was a wealthy businessman. He's one of these guys who knows how to make money. I mean, he's just a great business guy. And, and he was saying to us, you know, to be successful in business, you only have to do two things. We thought, really? What are they? He said, well, number one, you've got to uh, keep your present customers happy. And number two, you've got to find new customers. And then he looked at us and said, now, who in your church is in charge of new customers? And you go, well, most churches don't have anybody in charge. Right. Or if they do, if they have an evangelist person, he's also weighted down with 15 other things. And we're saying, no, even if it's just a, a, a volunteer who's trained, uh, who can give uh, 10, 15 hours a week to the church or whatever, um, To have that one person, nothing gets done in the church unless someone's name is written down next to the task. All right, Lee, we're going to have to take a little break because we're up against a hard break. But we'll be back with lots more. Lee Strobel is our special guest on our Summer Salvation Series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself will be uh, right back.
Welcome back to the show. I don't know We're in our I summer salvation series, continuing this, having a blast doing it. Lee Strobel is our special guest, best-selling author. And uh, Leah, a question I have for you is when we uh, grow in our faith, uh, we've been following Jesus for years, it seems that we talk about, I just have to totally surrender to God. But do we not necessarily say that at the very beginning when we're doing evangelism? We might say, well, maybe you should start with, you know, saying the sinner's prayer. Are we misrepresenting Christianity when we do that? I think we can um, be a little bit misleading when we reduce it down, very reductionistic in terms of what Christianity is. Is it a a simple uh, prayer um, where you say a few words repeating after somebody else uh, that may or may not be a reflection of your heart? Um, you know, I think we have to let people understand this is a this is following Jesus involves more than just um, nodding your head and saying, OK, I'm in. Um, it, it really is uh, submitting to his lordship in our life and um, uh, following him wholeheartedly. Um, so I, I think we have to be accurate. I think we got to be um, complete when we uh, help people uh, understand what it means to truly bend your knee to, to Jesus. Um, but but I think often uh, there is a process of, of growth where you you may come to faith, your heart um, is there, and uh, as you come to faith and the Holy Spirit illuminates in you your uh, things that you weren't even aware of, the depth of your sin that you maybe you you can you would confess, but you never realized how offensive you had been to God until the Holy Spirit, after you became a believer, kind of illuminates that for you. Um, so there is growth. There is a, a deeper understanding that comes over time um, as you yield your your life to, to Jesus. But I think the important thing is yielding our life to him. Um, it's not that you say a few words and go off and live your life the way you always have, uh, but it is a complete redirection uh, of your life and eternity. And Lee, I once had a student in my class say something that stuck with me to this day where he, he said, I was persuaded by being able to get into heaven. He said, I was not necessarily persuaded by Jesus. And and I thought that was such an uh, interesting and intriguing comment. And uh, what would you say in terms of, you know, why would somebody want to follow Jesus? Yeah, I mean, that comment's interesting because you, you have a lot of people who come to faith because they're afraid of going to hell. Right. And they're kind of scared into, <laughs> into heaven. Um, now, can that be a legitimate conversion? Yeah, I think it can be. But um, as, as they hopefully uh, increasingly come to an understanding of what involves to follow Jesus, um, uh, you know, that, that they continue down that path. Um, you know, what was the question? Why would anybody want to follow Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm kind of interested because we were talking in class at that time yeah. that I think we counted up. It was some 93 or 91 <laughs> times that Jesus said, follow me, right, in the biblical yeah. text. And, and that seemed to be his invitation. So, you know, right. why, why did they follow back in that day? Why, why do people follow today? Yeah, I mean, but, golly, um, you, you think back, especially in the first century, where people had a lot to lose when they uh, mm. followed Jesus. It wasn't an easy path. It wasn't the popular path to take. I remember as a new Christian, I, I uh, got the opportunity to speak to some groups in India, uh, in rural southeast India, and uh, I knew that if they committed to following Christ, uh, it could mean they could be barred from the community well. It could mean that uh, their husband would reject them. It could mean that they would lose their home. I mean, these are serious things, and uh, and yet um, uh, many people took that step. We baptized them right there in the Krishna River. 
um, knowing that as they followed Christ, it was not a road of uh, covered with roses, but it's a, a road that was going to be difficult, uh, and yet God, they trusted that God would take them through that. Um, now, in, in America, 50 years ago, it was kind of a popular path to take. These days, coming out as a uh, devout evangelical Christian uh, is, is not a particularly popular path, and uh, it could lead to persecution, so to speak, and, and to a rejection by um, others in, in uh, the family and, and elsewhere. So, um, you know, I mean, I my decision to follow Christ was initially based on the evidence um, that pointed in a direction. You know, I looked at the evidence of cosmology, physics, biochemistry, genetics, human consciousness, the evidence for Jesus and the, his resurrection and so forth, and, and, and it pointed in a direction. And I knew I had to take a step of faith, but it was in the same direction that the evidence was pointing. That's logical. That's rational. And we do that every day of our life. And so I decided to follow Christ because the evidence told me that he is who he claimed to be, that he claimed to be the Son of God. uh, And then he backed up that claim uh, by returning from the dead. And so my initial decision to follow him, which was not a popular decision among my colleagues at the Chicago Tribune, uh, which tended to be an extremely secular environment, um, but it was, you know, I feel compelled. I feel um, the only logical thing I can do is take a step of faith in the same direction the evidence is pointing and put my trust in Christ as my forgiver and leader. And then after I did that, um, uh, God began to take a hold of my life and take me down paths I never anticipated, um, and it became a, a, a process of following him because he is who he claimed to be, uh, trusting in him, trusting that his ways are best. I mean, when I felt a very specific leading of the Holy Spirit to leave my lifelong career in journalism and take a 60% pay cut and join the staff of a local church, um, that was one of the easiest decisions I ever made in my life because I felt so uh, confident that that this is what it means to follow Jesus, that this is the direction he's beckoning me to go. And I couldn't imagine putting my head on the pillow, uh, you know, at the end of my life and saying to myself, what, you know, why didn't I follow him? Why didn't I pursue that path that he had pointed out for me to take? I, I couldn't tolerate that. So I, I, I followed him nonetheless. And, um, so I follow Jesus because I believe he is who he claimed to be, and consequently, I can trust him. Um, if he went to the cross to pay the penalty that I deserve for the sins that I've committed and offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace, how can I not, A, love him, and B, trust him? Mm. And Lee, I mean, you talk about a generation ago that it was pretty popular to be involved in evangelistic movements and, and stadiums are filled with people. Uh, but today it seems it's a bit different. And, and to sign up for following Jesus may involve some hostility. Do, do you sense it's going to be yeah. increasing hostility moving forward? I mean, where are we headed with, with this whole topic? Yeah, I think there will be increasing hostility. I think, um, you know, we're going to be facing increased religious um, uh, restrictions in the United States. Uh, we continue to see worldwide that um, Christianity is the most persecuted uh, faith on the planet. Um, we see people dying for their faith almost every day around the world. 
uh, you know, those are realities. And, and um, you know, it's easy to kind of feel insulated from that. But, you know, we feel social slights. We get comments maybe on Facebook or whatever, and we think that's a horrible thing. Um, and people responding negatively to our faith, and yet people are being put to death in, in, uh, in, in certain countries because of um, their following Jesus. Uh, so I, I think there will be increasing social uh, pressure uh, not to be a devout follower of Jesus. And, um, um, you know, no, nevertheless, I think that, you know, Jesus said, follow me. And uh, if we believe he is who he claimed to be, then we'd be fools not to not to comply. Leah, I'm curious about your decision to become a believer. I know in, you lay it out in your book, and you have this brilliant, rational, thinking, logical mind, and you saw the evidence, and you took your step of faith. I have a lot of listeners that sometimes feel emotional to the point of, does God really, am I really saved? Because um, I don't feel saved, I don't feel forgiven. And I uh, heard a sermon years and years ago, and it's really stuck with me, that faith was a decision-making process based on the Word of God, irregardless of your emotions. And yet some people will argue, and uh, I had a listener uh, named Barry that said, oh my, he said, you know, when the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, he goes, that sounds pretty emotionally involving to me. Well, you know, my wife wrestled with this after she came to faith, um, feeling that, uh, golly, I, I don't feel any different. I don't feel emotionally connected as much as I wanted to be. I, I feel like the feelings aren't there. And, um, you know, the Bible says these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order you may know that you have eternal life. And God doesn't want us in a state of confusion or anxiety or apprehension about where we stand with Him. He wants us to know, have confidence that we're adopted as a son or a daughter of the Most High. And so, um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the Bible does tell us that the Holy Spirit will um, bear witness to our spirit that uh, we're adopted uh, into the family of God. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that's a feeling thing. Feelings tend to fluctuate. Feelings come and go. Uh, feelings are not very trustworthy. Uh, the Holy Spirit is trustworthy. And uh, over time, I think he's going to, um, um, you know, uh, give us confidence that we've taken that step, if indeed we have. Um, you know, I think, uh, finally, um, the woman who led my wife to the Lord sat down with her and said, look, do you think you think uh, the Bible is lying? And she said, well, no. I said, well, it says that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Do you believe? Have you received? Then you've become. Uh, settle it. And uh, from that day on, she's had, a, uh, I think, had the Holy Spirit use that to cement her confidence in her salvation. And uh, she has never questioned it since then. But Feelings are, are, are dangerous things in the sense that they tend to fluctuate, and, and so I think um, reason and, and, uh, and evidence and facts point in a direction. Uh, when we take that step, um, believe plus receive equals become, and we become um, firmly adopted forever as a child of God. Is that part of how you would encourage somebody, too, that maybe feels the need to, to maybe pray a sinner's prayer or be baptized again or something they don't feel like they had the salvation initially, to just um, to talk them through what you just said? 
Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes I'll say to someone who comes to me with that issue, I say, you know what, um, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just put a stake in the ground right here. And, uh, you know, if you want to, let's, let's, um, let's pray and, and ask God not only, you know, just to um, make sure that you know, I can always point to this day and say, yeah, I remember I was with Lee and I prayed that prayer. And, um, and then ask God to cement this in your heart and to give you the confidence of your salvation. And, uh, and so sometimes people will do that and say, okay, consider this the moment for sure that you've taken that step. And the Bible doesn't lie. Uh, I, I love, you know, that, that verse to me, John 1, 12, um, was the last verse I read as a nonbeliever. Um, and I read it, and I realized it forms an equation of what it means to become a true child of God. To believe plus to receive equals become. And um, that was pivotal for me, and I think sometimes people need to understand. Like, for instance, I just spoke last weekend at a, uh, outside evangelistic service at a church in uh, Kansas City. And a woman came up to me afterwards, and she said, you know, I've been going to church for over 30 years, and today I receive Christ. I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what, what do you mean? She said, I've been going to church. I, you know, I love the idea of God. I love the idea of Jesus. I kind of nod my head and everything. But she said, today was the day I really realized uh, it's not enough just to have intellectual belief. I had to receive. I had to repent of my sin. I had to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I had to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross when he died as my substitute to pay for my sin. And uh, so she said, <laughs> so I considered this moment the moment that I've truly become a child of God. And I said, well, that's great. I said, um, you know, there are some people who will sit in the church bench for a long time. In fact, George Barna did a survey a number of years ago and found that in the average Baptist church, um, what was it, 33% of people for sure as well as he could determine with these diagnostic questions, had come to faith in Christ. And, um, uh, you know, what about these other people who come to church and they have a general agreement with Christian doctrine and make it maybe, um, you know, pass a quiz, but they've never repented of their sins and, and received this free gift in an attitude of repentance and faith. So I, that's why I like what John one twelve. I use that a lot to just kind of uh, clarify for people. Um, if you believe as best you can, not that you have answers to every question in the world, we don't, but you don't have to know everything to know something. And you can know with confidence Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and he backed it up by returning from the dead. So if you believe that, then receive. Believe plus receive. Can you, you know, uh, confess your sin, repent of it, uh, and in an attitude of faith, receive this free gift of God's grace. We'll be back with Lee Strobel after a short break. Thank you so much for uh, listening. We'll probably have time for a question. You can also text it to 877-933-2484. Be right back. our summer series on salvation. Lee Strobel is our very special guest. And Lee, I just absolutely loved what you were saying prior to 
the uh, break about this woman who went to church for 30 years and realized that she had never come to saving faith. And the whole point of this summer series is to do just that, is to put uh, listeners in a situation where they can say, hmm, I think think he's also talking about me because I, I have voted yes for God my whole life, but I've never made that personal step of faith. I've never given my allegiance to Christ. Um, I've never uh, made a personal decision. And I don't know if you'd be uh, willing to offer that invitation to our listeners who might be in that position and would make August 19th, 2020, their day of salvation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if you're unsure, if you if you're, uh, have some anxiety about where you stand with God, if you question it, if, if you're not confident in it, then let's resolve it. Let's resolve it. I mean, if this is the intention of your heart, then just say in a prayer to Jesus right now, just say, Lord Jesus, as best I can, I do believe that you are the Son of God. You proved it by returning from the dead. And right now I confess the obvious, which is that I am a sinner. I mean, I've done things I knew they were wrong before I did them, and I did them anyway. And I confess that, and I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you purchased for me on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you endured the torture of crucifixion so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me to live the kind of life that you want me to live, because from this moment on, I am yours. Now, Father, we know that Luke 15 tells us a party breaks out in heaven whenever a sinner repents and receives forgiveness through your Son. So we celebrate with those that have taken that step just now. And um, we, we celebrate their new faith. We celebrate them being adopted into your family forever. And we worship you for, a God, for being a God who loves us so much. You sent your Son to die in our place so that we don't have to. In Jesus' name, amen. Lee, that's so powerful. Thank you so much. And I'm certain that there's someone listening, maybe live or maybe in the podcast to come, uh, down the road in the next uh, day or two where you realize that message was exactly for you. Lee was speaking exactly to you and you knew it. And if you said yes to that, I want to offer you a, a, a Bible, a new believer's Bible. And all you have to do is email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, or you can text me at 877-933-2484. would love to celebrate with you and get a, a brand new New Believer's Bible into your hands. Now, Lee, I, 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 the interview's not over. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I, I really didn't want to try to push it to the last minute where we've got, you know, 90 seconds left and we start playing that music. And, <laughs> and I, because what, what you just did was the most important part of the, of the mm-hmm. show. So thank you for that. I still sure. have other questions. And um, a, yeah. a, a question just came in from a listener. Can you tell me the difference between discipleship and evangelism? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. They're, they're intertwined in the sense that um, when we are fully discipled, uh, we become more like the Master, Jesus, and what was Jesus' mission? To seek and save the lost. And he called us to participate in that mission. So as we are discipled, as we grow in our relationship with God, uh, we realize that part of that involves sharing Jesus uh, with other people. And um, 
so I think they're they're connected, um, and and I think you know when we when we are fully disciple, our hearts increasingly should break for people that don't know Christ personally, and we should have an increasing desire to uh, share Jesus with others. You know, if someone's sitting in a pew for 30 years and their hearts have only grown harder toward lost people, something's wrong. Mm. Something's wrong. Um, You know, over time, our hearts should grow more tender toward people who are far from God. Um, And and, and we have an increasing desire as we become disciples, as followers of Christ, to uh, see them come into the faith. So... Uh, in that way, I think they're, they're definitely intertwined. Lee, and I think about some of the early believers, too, who have said yes uh, as disciples like this, and, and that they would share a, a weekly meal together that involved communion. Can you just speak to the importance of, of that kind of expression of our faith, that once we say yes to following Jesus in this way, that we're doing so among a community of believers? Yeah, this is not a, a Lone Ranger uh, faith. I mean, um, this is a community of believers that we're being uh, pulled into. And as the Bible says in Hebrews, we shouldn't neglect gathering together. Um, and, uh, of course, we should be observing uh, the Lord's Supper and um, um, uh, uh, encouraging and praying for and helping other people uh, in the church to grow in their faith just as they encourage you and help you. That's why small groups are so important, because uh, so many churches these days are locked and you feel a little bit lost and disconnected. And in a small group, you, you are known and can uh, know others on a deep level, uh, pray for each other, encourage each other. And uh, some of my dearest lifelong friends are people who I was in a small group with going back to uh, the 1980s. In, in terms of what you've seen then in those groups uh, and, and the life change that happens, I, I would think that there is that horizontal dimension that you just referenced there. If we're really going to change and become like the master, it isn't some ethereal, mysterious journey, although it is some of that, but it really does come as we sort of rub shoulders with one another. Yeah, that's right. To, uh, you know, someone who can encourage you in your faith, who gets to know you and understands uh, where you may be tempted and helps hold you accountable. Um, you know, I, I have a good friend, Mark Middleberg, and we've been in ministry together going back over 30 years. And uh, he knows everything about me. He holds me accountable. He helps me avoid temptations. He prays for me. He encourages me. He cheers me on. Um, and uh, I know I'm at the top of his prayer list every day, and the same is true for me and him. Um, that kind of relationship, I think, um, uh, really accelerates uh, personal growth in faith, and um, I know that I, I would uh, uh, attribute much of my spiritual growth to the fact that Mark is in my life and um, um, plays a huge role in, in helping me grow in Christ. Lee, we have uh, just a couple minutes left. If somebody is thinking about uh, wanting to take those first steps to become more active in their evangelism, what would you suggest? I know that you talked about different personality styles, but are there some key things to even just take a first step into this? Yeah, you know, uh, Mark and I wrote a book together called The Unexpected Adventure. And uh, what it is is a six-week devotional where we have a story every day from his life or my life about how we shared our faith. Often messed it up. Often they're funny. And, uh, um, you know, sometimes they're very serious. But often we talk about times we we just mess things up. Uh, But then there's Scripture and there's an application every day. And the whole idea is that um, it's, it's designed to help people grow in their desire to share Christ with others, and get enough tips and pointers so that they feel more confident in doing it. 
And, um, you know, as Luis Palau told us once, he said he gets nervous every single time he shares his faith one-on-one. And he was the great evangelist who's probably spoken to a billion people through his ministry. And yet one-on-one, he always gets nervous, and that's okay. Um, but but we, we mitigate that when we um, uh, share our faith in a way that syncs up with who we are and we, you know, get some pointers on doing it in a natural uh, and effective manner. Mm-hmm. Lee, uh, just in the time we have left, I'd love for you to uh, let our listeners know that if someone wanted to be a student at the Lee Strobel Center, what would they do? Yeah, if they just go to Strobel Center, S-T-R-O-B-E-L Center, one word, dot com, that'll link you over to our website at Colorado Christian University, and uh, you can pursue a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, or uh, coming up soon, a certificate, or... I think for a lot of people, they just want to take one or two courses. Mm -hmm, You you might want to take a course on Islam or on religious doubt or on world religions or on science and faith and just grow in that area. I mean, just five-week course, all online. Um, I think people enjoy it and and grow and and, uh, be more effective ambassadors for Christ as a result. Yeah. Have you had fun today? (laughs) I have. Uh, Yeah. How can you not have fun talking about salvation? Yeah, I know. During the break, Peter uh, said, boy, he just... just DNA is just it just pours out <laughs> of his it does, DNA. It just comes out of you. Yeah. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah. That's so nice. It really, has been fun, and we're we're gonna have Jim Wallace on too. Uh, he doesn't. Oh know. yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, I've had him, I've had him on the show many times. He doesn't know he's gonna be on this summer series. <laughs> you tell him. <laughs> I told him. To I'm gonna be tell on. him. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so I much. Challenge him. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lee, thank you. Have a, a wonderful rest of the day, and I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Bill and Peter. Appreciate yep, you, you guys and all your listeners. Thanks so much. All right, Peter, that wraps up the show for the day. I so appreciate uh, all my guests, and this last hour has been wonderful. If you missed any of it, I encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can start right from the beginning. That, uh, again, wraps up our show. Thank you so much for listening and being such a great supporter of Faith Radio. I look forward to our time tomorrow already. Can hardly wait. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.